0: Hello and welcome to the Development Dilemma podcast, a place for the conversations we've been avoiding between expats and locals in the development space. We hear from both sides of the table to tackle development dilemmas and chart how we can do it better. Join me as we start the conversation. In this episode, I'm delighted to have Marion join me on the Development Dilemma. When I came to Kenya, Marion was my first colleague and kindly introduced me to many wonderful aspects of Kenyan culture. Later, she also shared some of the issues she had observed. And alongside the discussions with Lorraine and Sarah in the first two episodes, it was conversations with her that really opened my eyes to what was going wrong and how we could also collaborate better as expats and Kenyans to have more impact. In this episode, we begin with why someone like myself comes to Kenya and the consequences of our mentality of altruism and helping has. Secondly, we touch upon the expat local dynamics and how they manifest in the workplace treatment and the subsequent system it creates. And then, lastly, the different risk approaches she finds she has to consider, which myself as an expat I tend not to. Interlaced throughout this conversation is plenty of laughter, but also a deep aspiration from both our sides that we can work to make things better. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did recording it. Well, Marion, it is a delight to have you on alongside Lorraine this is where we and I got to have some of my first conversations into this three years ago and so
1: thank you for having me on the podcast I mean if we've been having this conversation for three years it's about time (laughs) we put something together so really happy to be here
0: I'd love to hear especially because of course we met by virtue of me coming here why do you think that people come here
1: I think in general most expats or most foreigners come to Kenya with the notion of helping Kenya and helping out the continent in general. Um, Most people see it, I think, as an adventure, a way to experience a different culture, different life, do something meaningful. I think there's always that notion that, you know, I'm coming to do something meaningful in this country. I'm coming to apply my skills here. To some degree, I'm coming to learn a little bit about the culture and the context of the country. Um, That's generally why I think most people come
0: here. I think that's true. From my experiences, that's why I came it was an adventure. It was an experience. And that was, yeah, that was ilk. Also to do something meaningful with how I viewed it at the time. And so what are some of the concerns you have with that mentality?
1: I think everyone wants to do something meaningful. Everyone everyone is looking for some kind of adventure. Everyone is looking for some excitement. I think there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. But I think for me, the, the biggest problem I have with that is that uh, the notion of helping. This whole notion that we are coming to this country to help these people do something better. That, you know, we we, we are coming necessarily to bring better skills, to bring better thoughts, to to, to do it better in, in some way than, you know, than they have been doing it. And we sort of know how to do it. Deeply more, it's that notion that we've come out of sort of altruistic purposes. And I think that notion is normally very dangerous because that's not necessarily what, you know, a country necessarily needs. It's not that we, as a country, would be seeking for charity, (laughs) that we are looking for some kind of charity. We are looking for many people to come in and help us to do things. I mean, there are lots of capable people in this country. There are a lot of people who are smart and intelligent and driven and who can actually... Do the work, right? So, we do need people to come in with a different notion, a notion that we're coming to understand the context, we're coming to understand the country, we're coming to understand the people, and we're coming to work alongside them for the betterment of the country. So, we're not necessarily coming to help the people there. If we are coming in, we're coming to work alongside them.
0: And can both occur, or do you think there's an element where if you're coming here for altruistic reasons, the Mm. other elements take a back
1: seat? You know, the helping is different. If you're coming on a charity mission and you're on your way to donate food to, to the slums, that's very different than if you're coming employed by an institution that's actually supposed to be doing a specific sort of program or project in the country. That's very different. And that notion of helping should not be attached to... In a um, latter case. Exactly. It shouldn't be attached to, to, to the work you're doing through an organization. If you're coming by yourself on a charitable mission, that's very different.
0: Then if you are working for perhaps an international organization. exactly, Let's say morals or value-driven organization. You still think in that case it should be... You are here to do a job. You're here
1: to do a job. You're here to do a work. This notion of helping is fine. We have to understand, of course, and accept the fact that in Africa, things are different. You know, we're not as advanced as the West. You know, we have lots of challenges here across different social sectors. We have to accept that. But it's if an international organization or organization decides to come and improve that, the notion of helping doesn't come in. You are actually decided, okay, this is my mission. I want to improve water sanitation. What part of that necessitates sort of helping? You know, the idea here is that this is our mission. This is what we are here to achieve. This is what we want to do. Ultimately, this is the outcome we are looking to achieve. So we should be looking to be driven by our mission, which is either to improve sanitation, to improve health, to improve education, whatever that is. And the idea should be we should be driving each and every one of our people and everything in us to achieve that outcome.
0: And extricate the notion of helping.
1: Extricate that, that notion of helping, because that notion of helping normally it sort of makes things it makes failure easy. It makes it it makes it very easy to say, oh, it didn't quite work, so that's fine, or I don't need to put in that much effort because I'm helping. And you know, it's the same. Like if you're if you're on a charity mission, nobody's going to ask you why you're doing it this way, why are you giving this and not that, you know, because that's coming out of your own volition. I'm the one saying, I want to donate this amount of money, this is how I want to donate, this is how. Nobody's going to ask you to do it differently, that's your choice, right? But if you've come necessarily to do a job and focus on a certain job, then it becomes very sort of clear-cut as to What you are supposed to do? What are we looking to achieve? Have we achieved? If we have not achieved, what are the repercussions of us not achieving this? And so on and so forth, which is very different from sort of a charitable mission where nobody's going to say you didn't achieve. I was giving to begin with. Nobody forced me to, so.
0: Yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, I think... At the same time, there's a whole field of measure, you know, measurement and accountability, mm-hmm. and one could argue, well, that's what that whole field is about: is of taking these charities, taking these missions, and missions is a is a problematic word, but nonetheless, <laughs> taking these projects mm-hmm. and saying, "Have you delivered?" I think we have seen an evolution in the charity space, and there has been an improvement in the NGO space in terms of how they view it. As our duty is just to be giving stuff, and it doesn't matter if we do well or not. I think to place some more emphasis on monitoring and evaluation so has that succeeded where has its its limits been
1: i think to some degree it also stems from the top so ultimately from where the money is coming from because there's also that notion of you know whoever is ultimately giving the money how much account- accountability do they demand because then that trickles down in to the M&E system so whoever is monitoring knows you know my donor whoever gives the money um maybe it's not that hung up on certain details they're okay with this they're okay with any explanations of to why this didn't work they're sort of easy and they they might probably not come back and say we're not going to give you any more money so to some and and that's a very simplistic answer that's probably just my thought that i think sometimes it stems from it comes from the top a structural issue it's a structural issue i think and a structural
0: issue which is in many ways, donors being held accountable by themselves, to themselves. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's donors, they're the be-all and end-all. So I have the money, I give it, I determine how you report to me, I say when I'll cut it and when I'll give more to you. So it's it's that way, and it's the same sort of idea that when you're giving, sort of in a charitable mission, it's up to you. It's you who dictates how it goes, how you give when you stop giving, how you decide whether that's okay or not, That's and that trickles down.
0: Yeah, and I think, I guess, maybe one element of that is that if you fail, and, and one, you might be less aware of that, but if you fail, it's, like, well, hey, I tried my best.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it's because of that notion that we're here to help either way. We actually are doing you a favor by being here. You, you should know? be grateful. You should be grateful that we're even here in the first place giving you this amount of money. So if it doesn't work, yeah, we did our best. It's probably your fault that it didn't work.
0: Yeah, I think I see that. I also see it, the yeah. other hand. What brings a lot of people to be interested in this work in the first place is some notion of helping. Now, a lot of that is around problematic issues of images and the way in which we talk Mm -hmm. about and discuss places, particularly this continent and many countries. But there's also, I would like to think, a genuine good side of that in its origins. It's coming from a a place of wanting to be able to help others, whomever they may be. Mm -hmm. How should one come instead? How should the arn of of three years ago, before I came <laughs> here to work with, work with you and, and the team. How should I have come instead?
1: I think the way to come is, first of all, understanding that... There's a lot of complexity to begin with in all of this, right? It's not as simplistic as me really wanting to help or do something meaningful in such a country and so, you know, I just come with my meaningful thoughts and my meaningful actions and I'm here and I'm this is what I'm bringing to the table. I think before anybody sets foot here, there's that need to understand the complexities of this challenge here in africa and it's the same everywhere else no matter what issue you're talking about if you're talking about racism in the u.s it's not a simplistic issue it's something that's structural it's something that's complex so understand that and then understand what your role really is in trying to solve that complexity and understand and i think removing that notion that i know best or I could do better. So there's always that notion that the people there are not like you know. You guys have not really solved this water issue. Wrong. Yeah, you know, you're getting it wrong. There's something you're not doing right. And I think I have what it takes, you know, to do this right. But if that was true, we're looking at a continent that has received aid for for decades. You know, if that if that was the case, and that people are coming here with the right notions and the right skills, we'd be out of problems. You know, long time. Africa would be booming and thriving so simplifying it doesn't help we really mm-hmm. need to understand the complexities
0: yeah i think that's i think that's really strong and there was the article that sarah and i had mentioned
1: mm-hmm.
0: the reductive seduction of other people's problems mm-hmm. and and she echoes a lot of what you've said because she mentions but don't go because you've fallen in love with solvability go because you've fallen in love with complexity don't go because you want to do something virtuous Go because you want to do something difficult. Exactly. Exactly. Don't go because you want to talk. Go because you want to listen. Exactly. And you think because of that mentality, an organization or the people within that will hold themselves accountable to a different
1: degree. Much more. Because then you'll come knowing that. And it's, it's that notion like, you know, how you work in the private sector. Knowing that I'm here to deliver something. You know, as part, I'm part of this institution. This institution is supposed to deliver something. I'm part of that mission and I'm held responsible. To achieve that. And that's the bottom line. It shouldn't matter, you know, what altruistic reasons came, you know, brought you here. That should be the bottom line. I'm here. I'm part of this mission. And this is the outcome that we are all Mm -hmm. looking to achieve. And I've spoken to a few experts who sort of feel guilty for coming, sort of coming to Kenya or coming to Africa and enjoying some of the privileges and the life that's here. I think to some degree, if we're realistic, if you do look at it as you're, as you're coming to a country and you're coming to put in the work, you shouldn't feel bad for enjoying the scenery, enjoying hmm. the people, enjoying the warmth, enjoying the food. That That should actually be a natural part of, where you choose to work, you know? So if I decide, you know, I want to move to Asia, I want to go there because of the people, because of food, that shouldn't be a bad thing. It should actually be a good thing. You're actually going to celebrate the culture. But I'm not going with some kind of savior mentality. I'm actually going and hoping that my Mm. skills will contribute to solving a complex challenge in a certain part of the world.
0: I think that's a really nice way to put it. And I hadn't thought of this notion of that guilt, where that guilt stems from, is linked Mm. To some of those, yeah, some of those mentalities of, and and how much that all, all, all stems a lot from, I would argue, a lot of the notions of <laughs> piety and Christianity and the missionaries <laughs> that, you know, you're supposed to be doing all this altruistic work where yeah. it doesn't recognize, I think, at least fundamentally human behavior that we are selfish mm-hmm. and We can be interested in doing things that both please us but help others. Exactly, Um, and that's great.
1: Exactly, but it
0: is yeah fundamentally you are there to do a job. I think that's great.
1: And I remember there was someone who mentioned to me that you know there's there's a new restaurant that it's been um, opened here in Nairobi and it's full of NGO people, people in the aid world, and it's very expensive. And so the notion was that if you're here and you're working in the development space, why are you eating in an expensive restaurant? And to me, I thought. That's absolutely ridiculous that has nothing to do with anything because i'm a person i'm I'm here to do a work where i eat ultimately should not be defined by where i work if if i if i choose to eat in a nice restaurant if i choose to eat in a kibanda as we call it here that has nothing to do with the job that's brought me here so if if you're looking at me as just a person who's here to work it really doesn't matter about you know sort of where where i should eat because then I thought that, you know, those are the kind of notions then that, you know, bring that thing of, you know, I'm feeling guilty to be enjoying this place, to be doing this and that. No, it would be it would be the same if a banker who's working somewhere is eating at the same restaurant. There's no big difference. All of you are doing a job. If one of you mm-hmm. decides to eat at a certain place, that's fine.
0: And so how do you view, because I think this is a range this kind of goes against some of my own thinking, actually, um, mm-hmm. that was echoed in kind of the episode with Sarah, where we were mentioning, I perhaps a little bit negatively, in terms of the expats that fly to the coast, that, that go on the weekends, part of the reason why I see that as negative, mm-hmm. that behavior, is because of the fact that there is a discussion of, well oh, I'm here to help, but then they're doing these things. <laughs> and so, whereas I was critiquing it from a, they mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing those things if they're here to help,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think what you're saying, which is very interesting, <laughs> is you shouldn't be here to help in the first place.
1: Exactly. You're, and so there's, there, there's no crime for you to enjoy, you see? The only difference, the difference is that because you're coming here as an expat, you're probably many of the times perhaps not here with your family. You probably have more disposable income. You have less, you know, you have less family concerns and everything. So it's easier for you to sort of go off to the coast every weekend, you see, than it is for me who who lives here. I, I have my family here. I have I have things that I have to take care of. So it's not that easy for me to sort of fly off to the coast. But it's also that I live here and that I can go to the coast anytime I want. So for the expat, and I understand it, if you're here for say two years or three years, soak it in. Nobody's judging you. Enjoy. I mean, you're here for a reason. If you like our coast, go enjoy the coast, meet the people at the coast, go to Naivasha because you're here for a certain time. You shouldn't feel guilty about enjoying the country and enjoying everything that comes with the country. You should, of course, appreciate the fact that it's not that easy for everyone to do that. And it's probably for that reason that you're able to travel and do all those things. But it's not a bad thing Hmm. nobody should sort of victimize you you shouldn't feel guilty at the end of it what i care about is what you do monday to friday if you choose to do saturday and sunday Naivasha enjoy that's fine
0: (laughs) no i really (laughs) like that i think it's really that's yeah. Yeah, it's forcing me to change my my it, thinking it around is. this.
1: And and it should be like even for me if I decide to move and my dream is always to go to South America, I'm not going with some altruistic notion of helping. No, and if I do go there, I'm going to soak it all in. I'm going to be there for whatever time is going to be, you know, if it's 2 years or 3 years. I'm going to soak it and all it's in. Columbia. It's Colombia. It's Columbia, want... that's where I want to go. I'm going to soak it all in. But I'm also going to do what's Taken me there. if I've gotten a job to do there, I'm going to do that job and but I'm going to enjoy every single thing that comes with that country and with that enjoyment and you you also get to understand a little bit of the culture of the place that you're in, and especially if you do try to go off the beaten path so don't just do the touristy things, you know because then that really doesn't help you understand the whole context of a country. Do more, do more than just the sightseeing, engage, get into, get friends. Get to know the culture, learn the language. All of that will help you understand more of the complexities, and it will also help you in your work, understanding the complexities of the country. That's wonderful. No, I really like that. Marianne. I really like that.
0: Now you have a situation where an expat is here. I have arrived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you remember, and you had to hold my exactly. hand and, and introduce me uh, to exactly. many things. <laughs> How does that come into the workplace? What are the differences you've seen?
1: There are many things. Um, One thing is that because of that mentality of, you know, what have you guys been doing all this time? Why have you not solved these problems? And so I'm here to help. It translates into that notion that sort of the expert is more superior work-wise than the local. And so there's that notion that you're not necessarily as good as the expert because you know if you were you probably would have solved this so there's a lack of listening in that in my sense in that as to what they think would be a good idea in how we implement our programs or how we do this and that no there's that notion that i'm bringing the skills i'm bringing the thoughts you
0: implement i see and so i'm curious and do be honest here how did you see me coming into the space? Like, you know, how did that play in?
1: Well, no, for you, I thought because you came in and that's perhaps your personality. You came in with a very humble nature. You came in very unassumingly. You didn't, and I, and I don't know whether that's because you're young. And so you, you also came in with that with
0: no skills <laughs> for
1: sure. You came in with that attitude of, I really want to learn and I really want to understand. And that's actually what I liked about you. You, you're very open to understanding what we're working on learning as much acknowledging that you don't have all the skills and that you know we have skills that we can impart on you and that i think for me that's what i took from you which is a very good quality to have
0: but you'd say and don't be comparing <laughs> but you'd say that's not maybe how most I no,
1: no, no 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 most most other people come with i know and and you probably don't know as much
0: and how does that manifest itself
1: It's also, yeah, which which projects are ultimately chosen, how they are implemented, who we ultimately work with. And I think that's one of the things in ways in which it manifests itself very strongly is ultimately, for example, projects with consultants, which consultants actually get chosen. And a lot of the times it's a struggle to get sort of African consultants to be accepted onto projects. There's that sort of notion that consultants from the West are much, much better or You know, they they write better reports, or their English is better, or their thoughts are more structured, or they do a better job, or they don't ask for late extensions. There's that notion.
0: And where does that come from? Which of those are true, if any?
1: Let's say a British consultant has... Better English or perhaps writes a better report. We can't argue against that. You're probably talking about someone who's, you know, been educated in Oxford and everything, probably have better English, but doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best way. You know, just because we say we're looking at a Kenyan consultant who perhaps doesn't have the level of English of that other consultant or perhaps hasn't structured their report doesn't mean their sentiments or their thoughts or whatever they've put into the project, the
0: content, the content
1: of that is any less. No, no, no. So but that, just because it's presented in a different way, it's it's almost disqualified to me. That's probably the most unfair part.
0: I can definitely say for myself: small grammatical mistakes, even though, from one perspective, they're completely irrelevant, they affect how I read things. Mm-hmm. Just because that's how and that's the way I receive exactly. media, and that's different. I think it would be fair to say to the same way in which a Kenyan might read things: the grammatical mistakes are of are, are less importance, mm-hmm. if that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. And it's the content that bears more importance Is con- or relevance.
1: Exactly. And so if, and I know it because that, that also. Like you say, it also uh people struggle then to read the th- to to get the content out of that report if it's sort of poorly written or with any grammatical errors. so fix that up front so that then what you're reviewing is actually the content because then if you look at it from that perspective when it comes and you're looking at oh this the sentence structure is all wrong, the grammar is all wrong, then you come quickly lose interest and you're already now say this person is incompetent when that's not necessarily the case you know because you're looking at say for example Cambridge or Oxford educated person very different from say our local education system so if you fixed that English part then you could now start to look at this report from a very different perspective and actually look at the content see is this person saying what I expected them to be saying
0: and so what does that do to someone like yourself who you mentioned you were trying to hire African consultants, you'd face more pushback more criticism did it, how did it affect you then?
1: Well for that now what 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 happens is that you realize you're you're fighting a battle that you won't win you know you you're up against the system right and so you make your life easier and you just take the easier option, which is to choose an expat to do the job because you know full well that Uh, it will be easier to get them approved. You'll have an easier time, you know, sort of justifying the project, implementing the project. Uh, At the end of it, recommendations will be much easier to take up. So you realize, you know, as much as you would want, and the idea was always that, you know, try and build, of course, the skill set and not necessarily the skill set, try and give opportunities to Kenyans uh, as we are in this space. But then you realize very quickly that it's so much work to get that work approved that the easier version is just to pick an expert consultant.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a reflection of how systems create certain patterns of behavior, and mm. and that's not you don't want to be hiring, <laughs> or the organization doesn't want to be hiring African consultants. Exactly, it's just that the procedures, the way in which they act and see each other, leads to this, and then you're you're suddenly finding yourself always hiring the same
1: exactly.
0: few familiar partners, who then also they know you better. Mm. They have developed stronger relationships, experiences, and then it will just persist.
1: Exactly. So actually, you just continue to propagate the system because, you know, the more you don't give the Kenyans and the Africans these opportunities, the more then you remove them from the system. And it's this same system that the expat thrives in is because they keep getting the opportunities. And they with every opportunity comes an opportunity to improve right so with every consultancy that you take you improve you get the feedback and what and you move to the next one and with to the next one you use the experiences of this one to build that one and so you're looking at someone who by the time is applying for a job at your place has sort of 10 20 consultancies and with that the experience that comes with that compared to sort of an african who you know keeps supplying and keeps getting rejected and probably has maybe gets one or two. You're then pitting two very, it's a very unequal race mm. in this position. But so if we, if we had been more systematic about really supporting the industry and really supporting the, the Kenyans and the Africans in this space, then we would be looking, you would now be getting people at that level that you think is a good level, right? If you're looking mm. at, say, people writing English in a certain way, if you work with someone once, twice, thrice, and you're probably interested in a certain report looking a different way. Then by then they will have gotten it. By the third or fourth time, they'll have gotten it. So so it let's is. then
0: let's take this example because I think this is a very concrete one, and look at then at the hiring practices for the consultant. What would you change to make it one that would lead to better for both the organization and the consultant?
1: It's just to hire them. There's no there's no. There's no math about it. It's just actually hire them. And if you feel that, you know, the English could be better, the organization has resources for an editor. So get an editor who has the, qualifi- the English qualifications that you'd like, let them edit the report. So actually hire them because then if you don't, you just continue to enable the system that con- constantly leaves them out. And then they will not necessarily be able to participate. So the key thing is, do they have the content? So it's not just saying, let me just hire anyone because I can hire. But, you know, we can't say that in this country that there are no qualified consultants. There are no people who are smart enough, who are engaged enough to do the work. Of course there are. There are thousands, right? It's probably just that they don't present themselves in a way that is similar to sort of the expert way, right? So hire them. And fix those things that you think maybe could be improved. And with that, then you continue to build and build that industry. Not necessarily build mm. the skill set, but build the industry.
0: If that is part of the ambition and goal of the organization to be hiring and supporting local talent, exactly. then that is one thing that you should be willing to commit and invest in Com-
1: as well. Commit and invest and actually look at it as a positive outcome of your project that on top of everything that you've come here to do, you're actually, you've also given the space for people to thrive within your organization.
0: And I think that's a very concrete and very strong message, even for an organization, to be saying, hey, look, we have managed to develop and build a set and network of really high-quality consultants where, as you say, the content already exists. Mm. Just at least they speak to our way of understanding things very well now, mm-hmm. whereas, they suit other models already very well beforehand.
1: Exactly. Um, because we, we can't ignore the fact that, for example, if you're funded by the British or the Americans, you'll ultimately be giving reports up and they, they'll they need to be structured a certain way. We, we can't escape. Okay. So if you feel that the African, the Kenyan consultant or the African consultant is not necessarily structuring their work in that way, that's your role now as the institution to support that because you know best, right? They don't know. They, they, they're they writing it. We were writing it the way we write it here, right? So if you feel it should be written a certain way that then would be acceptable to the donor, that's your part to play. But bring them in. If they have the content, work with them because there is also the part of the local knowledge, no matter which way you slice it. you Even if you come here and you live here 10 years, you'll never take away from the fact that this person was born here they understand some nuances that you might never understand because you're 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 not from here and so you you have to take that into consideration and appreciate that actually Mm. yeah
0: so i think those two points in one in terms of this lack of equal treatment and the and the approach and then if that is your mission committing to that in in a deeper sense where that means taking some of the hard work as you say of like okay well then we are going to upscale and train in an appropriate manner, mm-hmm. those consultants to suit our language and our way of exactly. seeing things.
1: And it's not upskill in the way because there's also a negative connotation of that upskill that is they this they don't really know. They're not they're not good enough. No, that's no, true. no, no, no. It's not at all that the Kenyan or the African consultant is not good enough. They might just not be presenting themselves in a way that's familiar to you. It doesn't necessarily make them you know, any less competent or any less qualified. So the work here is not to make them think. It's probably supporting in how they package the work so that it's acceptable to the the powers that be. So it becomes, you know, most of the African consultants don't necessarily get contracts to deliver work. And you've tried, right? You've
0: tried within your organization?
1: Hundreds of times. And a lot of the times what you find is that if you actually do manage to to get an, an African consultant actually to be hired, you find along the way that, you know, the criticism that's leveled at them is is much more than it would be uh, for, for, say, an American or a British consultant. So if the expert doesn't perform, it's because of other reasons. There are other extenuating factors that led to that. Thing not happening. So if they're,
0: for an example, what would, what have you heard as such a
1: as those? Uh, perhaps it's the consultant they were working with. Perhaps it's the timelines of the projects, or all those factors that then say, oh, that's that's probably the reason. Perhaps for this one, we we could have been more. We could have structured this better at the beginning. We could have added a different component, and blah blah blah. So the assumption
0: so is, if I understand yeah. correctly, it's. This person is of quality. Is of
1: quality. It's just the factors around that made them not perform. Whereas Whereas with the Kenyan Kenyan or the African, African, no, it's they did, they themselves did not perform. There's something wrong with them. And that's why the project didn't go as well. So, you know, you would find that. You know, a, a consultant from the West would say, you know, I'm, I'm going to hand this in late or this, or maybe even the content of what they present is not that good. But they won't get as big a bashing as, say, the Konyan consultant who perhaps or they structured it differently. With that, it's more, ah, you know, they've done a crap job and let's close that contract.
0: So you're saying there's more of a
1: space for error. There's a lot of leniency. Hmm. on on consultants and even staff in, in general. It's the same thing. So even for those who are employed, the I think the consequences of say either non-performance or anything that's the repercussions of failure, like I'd mentioned, are harsher on the Africans than it is on the expats. That comes out in sort of say the punishment that's meted out. You know, for some Africans they'll lose their jobs outright. For the others it will be more like, Okay, yeah, we understood this didn't happen. But it's because of other factors. There were these other factors that made that not happen. So maybe let's restructure, maybe let's help them do this and that and so they can remain standing. But the Kenyan or the African is more like, No, you you we've given you a chance, you're out the door
0: Look, I think there's of course you're speaking in generalities. But I want it to be very clear. Mm -hmm. Do you feel you have seen multiple examples of this kind of different treatment?
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely. I've definitely seen instances where, you know, someone commits an error and the black person gets a stronger punishment than, say, the white person.
0: For the same error.
1: For the same similar error, even if they're not, let's say, in the same department. Very, very true.
0: And how much would this be one person that is driving this or is it more systemic?
1: I think it's more systemic.
0: So one thing we've discussed beforehand and I think it's very helpful to an audience to be able to give very concrete examples. And I've been surprised around this topic with yourself but potential people i have thought to interview as well as those i have a strong hesitancy Mm -hmm. to come in with some of those examples why do you think that is
1: well it's uh, very much tied to the issue of privilege um on, on the part of the expat side and the the risks and the repercussions of risk taking on our side so you know if you're looking at say kenya this is not an easy country To get employment, I mean, if you look at the unemployment statistics, people are struggling to get jobs, right? So the idea is that everyone wants to protect what they have, and you don't want necessarily anything that could possibly jeopardize that, because it's very hard to get something without actually having worked for it a lot, which is very different. Like I see in the expat world, where people don't really struggle to get jobs i mean you know i've heard of so many cases where you know people came in sort of to kenya and some came in with their spouses and their spouses perhaps had jobs and they came in and so you know they're looking for something to do it's a conversation here it's a coffee there and the next thing you know the guy has a job or the lady has a job that's almost impossible in our Kenyan circle this you know I, I can count I've had countless number of coffees and uh, met numerous amounts of people but nobody's ever actually just going to hand me a job like that it's unbelievable it doesn't happen in our circles but in the expert circle it happens and like for you I've you've had possibly all your jobs handed to you and I don't know whether it's handed to you but you know from a conversation I think you're there was a have your job where you went cycling with someone and I went on had, a run you Yeah, you went I on a run, run. a run and you know that led into a job I mean you when you came to work with us it was you were on a radio station and our boss had you speak and they brought you here and and so on and so forth but it's completely unusual in our circles that you know I'll, I'll go on a run with someone and they'll, they'll be impressed by how I speak and they'll give me a job tomorrow that Ah, that almost never happens. So for you, it's, it's very, very easy for you to take risks because tomorrow you could have another conversation and whatever, whatever the implications of the risk you took, if it blew up in your face and you lost this job, tomorrow you could have another conversation and you'd be on your way. For me, if I put my neck out on the line and I perhaps lose a job, it's going to take me <laughs> a long time to get another one. So that gives you the difference in terms of the risk-taking appetites between Mm. sort of the expats and the locals.
0: I think that's true, and it's true what you say. (laughs) I've I've been very lucky and privileged, um, both in in the way in which I've gotten jobs and I haven't actually applied for a job officially still yet in my third (laughs) one. So I think that is definitely true from my perspective, do you think this plays a role in organizations in terms of what people, staff will be
1: Yeah, very, very much so. And it and it really it really dampens the spirits of of people in the organizations, especially when you realize how hard it is for your fellow Kenyan to actually get a job and what you see is someone who is either, you know, a spouse or a friend to who and you know, they they come in under the guise of you know, we're coming in for a quick consultancy stint and that turns into longer time and that actually turns into a full-time job, you know? And you think just how difficult it is for someone who's equally, if not more qualified, to get that same position without going through the system. So for the locals, for the Kenyans, you have to go through the system. There's not a single person who will bring you on for some kind of stint extend it and then find yourself into a job that will never happen you have to go through this system but for the experts somehow it's very able, they're very able to go through the system and come in and or it's go through more a, go through a network. Go through a network and not actually come in and be interviewed and have to prove their skills. It's more, oh yeah, you know, I spoke to so-and-so, this person is good in this, and yeah, we, we thought they might be interesting, they, they could do some work with us for a time, just a quick consultancy thing, and then we'll see. And then that turns into a full-time job.
0: And I think they might, they might still, to be fair, go through the procurement procedure and go through the official steps. But the way they've come in and the way they'll therefore be seen is with that lens. Exactly.
1: Exactly. They're already very much privileged in the sense that they're actually able to get that foot in, Hmm. which is the had that most people struggle with because if, if you also gave a, a Kenyan that foot in like okay come and then you go through the system later of course they'll, they'll come in and they'll do their job and they'll prove themselves and then they'll get in so it's, that becomes very disheartening to see.
0: Yeah and, and that risk, that difference in risk attitudes how does that so I've seen as you said in terms of what you're willing to share or others have mm. been willing to share publicly how does that affect in an organization what problems you're willing to speak up for
1: Ah, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. That that really will come into how, how quickly people are able to speak up and point out sort of issues. So, and you'll find in many organizations, people actually have to run this service for people to be a little bit more authentic. If you bring people into a meeting room and ask them, um, Marion, have you seen some kind of unfair hiring practice? I'll say no
0: you will say no i
1: will say no have you said no well nobody has asked me <laughs> but i will say no because i'm worried about what the implication of my saying yes you know could i could i be victimized could i lose my job but the expert will actually say it because they really have nothing to lose in a in a sense you know this this isn't their last stop you know so they they could actually quickly voice their opinions and and it ties in a lot with The fact that, you know, there's always this notion that, you know, Kenyans are quiet or they're shy. They don't speak up a lot in meetings. There's a lot of that. It's, it's a bit of our culture. But it's also people really weigh, and I think Lorraine touched about that, people really weigh their, their words before they say them. We, we won't just speak up and you'll think about it and what's the implication of me saying this? What's the relevance of me saying this? What could happen? What might not happen? And it's not just that you'll ask me a question and I'll go very quickly and answer it.
0: Okay, thanks for sharing that. And I think that is another axis upon which we can see quite clearly that a, a system is created deliberately or not. But it means that people come to it very differently and it will therefore show itself in the work quite differently. But that doesn't mean, as you say, that there isn't a competence there. Mm. But it means that because of either risk attitudes, because of the underlying differences in background, because of how people have come to the job in the first place, their mentality or their English, whatever it may be, there is going to be a difference, but you can't assume and shouldn't assume anything beyond that.
1: Exactly. And what happens, unfortunately, is that that plays a role in how sort of a Kenyan or African is judged. And so there's always that notion that, oh, you know, you didn't speak a lot at these meetings. You you know, you must not have something to say. Why why are you not saying something? And then it's sort of, you know, the person who speaks up the most or the loudest person then is seen to be automatically the smartest or the brightest. When that's not necessarily the case. I could be just wired differently. I might want to take more time before I speak up. Someone else might be thinking, uh, you know, what are the implications of me saying something here? So it's not to... The the key thing is for people not to generalize and to really understand a lot of the the context also. Because even here in Kenya, there's the context of our education system, which in many ways did not really favor people speaking up. You know, and there's also that... There's also that the, the part where it was... It was wrong to be wrong. So people are always afraid of sort of speaking up and saying the wrong thing because in our schools, that that would land you a beating, right? So you have to understand some of those cultural nuances. And there's
0: understanding that. But how would you suggest going from the understanding to
1: action? Like, How would you shape a workplace? For me, it's not to judge people based on that. So don't use that. Don't use that as your basis of how you judge the competence and the quality of work of this person. That can be an attribute of them. That's fair. Everyone has different attributes. It doesn't make you less smart or less competent, right? And it doesn't make the loudest person in the room smarter or more competent. It's just understand that I'm in a different environment. People react a different way. So all I can do if you're in an institution is make it open, make it very open space, very safe space so that people know that they can speak up, they can say what's on their mind if they want to and they're encouraged to do so. Whether there'll be repercussions, of course, people will always think about that but then their role is just to encourage that, you know, it's a safe space, speak up where you can. But don't judge on that basis. But don't judge on that basis. Don't let that be the reason why you say this person is better than that one. Yeah. No.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, Marion, thank you so much (laughs) for taking the time and and sharing these thoughts. And I know even with this you might feel like you're putting yourself at risk. So I really appreciate (laughs) that you are doing this and you are sharing these thoughts and to to more to more of these conversations.
1: Happy to, and thanks for having me on the podcast. I hope we we get to start a a revolution and a conversation that changes the industry for good.
0: Thanks for listening to the Development Dilemma podcast. We are now three episodes in, and in the coming weeks, I hope to release a few more. And if you found these discussions of interest, I would really appreciate your support and sharing it with a couple of friends. If you have any feedback on these discussions, thoughts on topics to tackle, or people to speak to, please reach out. You can follow and contact me on Twitter at dev underscore dilemma, Instagram, the development dilemma, and by email at the at gmail.com. And lastly, make sure to subscribe and continue the conversation.